I now just put my focus on living a peaceful life so that manifestations and great things are just attracted naturally. I think before then, the emphasis was kind of, I'll get this thing and then I'll be happy. And that's not a way that I want to live life. And that's not a way that I want any of my students or clients to live life either. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thanks so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Yes, absolutely. I am Amanda Elise. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and I am currently in Detroit, Michigan, and I have a couple businesses, and they are one, the 90 Days From Now Manifestation Planner, two, I also do coaching, spiritual coaching, and then three, I have a spiritual retreat brand called Spirit Journeys. So talk to us about how travel entered your life coming from Detroit. Sure. So I am from Detroit, but I I went to school in Atlanta. I went to Spelman. And after 13 years being in Atlanta, I wanted to move to Los Angeles, and I did. And I moved to Los Angeles. My dream was to you know, work from home, working in my passion, 100%, be in a relationship and just enjoy the Cali sun. And I was able to do that. I had a great time in California, but um, I got into a relationship. And as I think a lot of people I've connected with traveling anyway, that relationship ended and was probably one of the biggest teachers in my entire life because of how painful and difficult it was. And so I just couldn't stay in the city. I just couldn't. And so I knew I had to leave Los Angeles. And fortunately, my lease was up in just a bit. And so as soon as my lease was up, I left from LA, but I knew I didn't want to live in Atlanta right away. And so I said, you know what, I'll just go ahead and take a year 
to figure it out, do this healing thing, which is I'm really passionate about and just travel. And so it was my mission to heal what I had discovered about myself that I wanted to change through the relationship and heal some of the pain from the relationship. And so I just decided to take off with no plan. Was leaving Detroit a dream of yours? So I left Detroit when I was 18 to go to Spelman. So I'll say I always knew I was going to go to college. Um, So if you say, if you mean was leaving the country a dream of mine, not at all. I even remember when I was younger, um, probably like in my early 20s, talking to one of my friends and he's an avid traveler. And I was just, he's just like, you just don't want to travel. And I was like, not really. Yeah, I'm kind of happy here. And it was totally not in the plan. And when I started traveling, I started traveling domestically and then took that first international leap. And I have not looked back since. So um, I was talking about like Detroit specifically. Sometimes like when you're a little bit different, Small town can be soul crushing. Um, to be honest, I grew up in Detroit, and so I it's kind of like you don't know any different, to be honest. But um, I just always knew I was going to college, so um, it wasn't like a dream. It was more like a it it was just the path. Like I knew I was going to go somewhere. It was either going to be. Um, University of Miami or it was going to be Spelman. So I always knew I was leaving. So it was like, yeah, just the path. Okay. Okay. Um, It seemed like going to LA was a big dream of yours though. Um, You've been doing like uh, some manifestation work. It seemed like in order to get yourself there and to be doing 100% what you wanted to be doing and not having to like do other stuff to support yourself. So like, what was that like? You get there and you're doing the thing um, and then you want to leave there. <laughs> like, what was that like? I, and I, I understand the relationship aspect like played into it. Yeah. So actually what happened was I, I was in Detroit and I was working for a company and I actually was, um, going into the office. And so it was my dream to move to LA, but also have a work from home job because I was doing my coaching, but I was not doing it full time. And I, at that moment, I really didn't want to do it full time. So I honestly, my process was just, actually my, my true process was writing down a list of everything that I wanted in a new job that would support me moving to LA. And I did, and I was like very, very specific down to that I wanted the job to be, I wanted the job to be a remote job, but I wanted it to be based in LA, which is like really specific. I was like, and I was like, it can be remote or it can be coming to the office, but I really only have to come into the office like a few times a month so that I can kind of live free and do my thing. And I wanted it to be, um, you know, surrounding my passions and really great people, people who I wanted, you know, an amazing relationship with my manager. I'm going in detail because I know some of your listeners are like 
you know, the same, like they have jobs and they're like, okay, so I can't just jump full time into entrepreneurship. How can I make this happen? And so anyway, I got really specific with that list and I wrote it down and I did, I went on a lot of interviews and, you know, even interviews where they flew me out to visit and it's like something would always happen. And it was like, what the hell? You know, I was getting so anxious and nervous and scared. And that moment when you don't believe that God hears you and you're like, is this just make believe? Like, when is something going to change? And finally, it did actually turn around. I got um, an intuitive notion to look up this one system that I use, um, a CRM that I use because it's very specific. So I looked that up in LinkedIn because I'm like, okay, whoever uses this system, like I'm already, you know, pre-qualified. And so I found this job posting and it was for this woman. Her name is Mary Morrissey. And I don't know how many people are familiar with her, but she, she is a, I would say like a spiritual and metaphysical teacher slash coach slash speaker author. She was a two-time New York Times bestselling author um, back like decades ago. Um, she has a PBS special. She's an older woman, but she teaches what I am passionate about. And I saw this job posting and it was like exactly what I do marketing. And I was like, oh my heavens. And I sat there, I was actually at my old job and I sat there and I watched her videos, her YouTube videos back to back to back because I'm giving a lot of information, but there's a lot of people in this like spiritual coaching game and a lot of people say information and, and people like, you know, kind of regurgitate information that they heard, which is totally fine because it's all um, relevant with her, she has an authenticity to her because she's lived it. You can tell her spirit is sincere. And I saw those videos and I was like, and, and she's just so wise and knowledgeable. She's in her late sixties. She's lived a lot of life. She worked with the Dalai Lama. Like she's the real deal. And so I saw that and I was like, oh, I have to work with this woman. So I just made it my mission to work with her. And I got the job and I got the job on a Wednesday. And only because I have to give my job two weeks, did I stay in Michigan another week and a half. I couldn't even give them the full two weeks. I was like, I am out. So a week and a half later, I packed my stuff and I moved to LA. So that is how I moved to LA and I don't even remember if that was your question, but that's what I'm rolling with. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, um, LA being your dream and you wanting to manifest LA. So like before this lady, did you, were you involved much in the spiritual world? Like, um, I see like you use a lot of words like uh, manifestation, subconscious mind, um, attraction, frequency, universe, energy. Um, were, was that, were those elements that were always a part of your life or was that your new, your new, new when you got to Spelman? <laughs> um, oh, and I'm so sorry. I didn't like close the loop on that, but when I did get the job with Mary, she, 
it's, it was in my passion as I had written down spirituality. And then it was her house was in Los Angeles. So the whole company is remote whole company is remote, but her, and it's a, it was like a 40 person team when I was working there. So she, you know, she's making, it's a, it's a healthy company. Um, so she's based in LA and because I was doing marketing, I had to physically film her every month. So there, it wasn't technically quote unquote, I go into the office, you know, a few times a month, like I said, but I did quote unquote, go to work physically to see her a few times a month and, and, and the team, like, you know, we say prayer before every single meeting and everybody has intentions and it's just very, it's just a, a, an extremely spiritually based company. Um, and not, not faking it. It's, it's authentic. Like Mary will check you if she thinks that you're doing something out of line. Um, so she's not faking it or fake nice or fake spiritual or whatever. But anyway, so to close the loop on that, I did write that list. It was very specific. And I do encourage people to write what they really, 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 really want and not what they think is possible. Um, so your question was, was I into all this? Was this my stuff? Yes, this is my stuff. I was already doing coaching at that point. Um, and I have just been into manifestation and spirituality as long as I can remember. I mean, I was lighting candles in middle school and yeah, as long as I can remember, basically. So you knew like other kids that did that in Detroit or like your parents were into that or like allowed you to be into that? My parents did not discourage it. I think my parents always kind of look at me like, well, that's, that's what she's into. Like, let's just let her do her thing. Um, my parents really didn't, you know, um, go to church. So they didn't, they, I don't want to say they're liberal cause I don't think they're liberal, but they, they, they allow me to be me. And, uh, I went to a predominantly white school from age four. So, yes, there were other kids into that. We didn't know what to call it back then, but there were very few and far between, but yes. That's so interesting. So what did your parents think about you going to Spelman? Like you said, it, in your mind, it was just a part of your path. Like, so I, I suppose it came as no surprise to them either. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, yeah, no, not a, not a surprise, um, at all. Um, I, yeah, they, I, I guess they were happy. I mean, you know, they knew I was always going to college and so it was always, um, just the thought. And then when it got to like sophomore, junior year, we, my, me and my dad went to a couple college campuses and, I don't, I don't think he went me, went with me, went with me to Spelman. I don't remember, but they were very happy for much. It came down to Spelman or Miami and I, I had a therapist. I actually, so I've, I've just been into like personal development and spirituality from forever. When I was eight, I asked my parents for a therapist. I was eight. <laughs> They're like, okay. So, um, I had spoken to my therapist and I just remember talking about Spelman versus Miami. She's like, it sounds like you really want to go to Spelman. And I was like, oh, well, if that's, 
you know what she's picking up from this, from the words that I'm using? I guess I should really pay attention to this. I remember saying like, oh my gosh, if I don't get into Spelman, I'll die. And she was like, that's a strong statement. Like, it sounds like, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I guess. And you know, just as you said, I am passionate about the subconscious mind and the things that come out of our mouth. So I was like, wow, if I said it like that, that's probably where my heart and my spirit really want to go. And so um, my decision was made after that. So how long, because that's from age eight to age 18, you like the whole time you were in therapy every Saturday. Are you serious? Yes. 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 Every Saturday. Mm -hmm. What in the world? Mm -hmm. I was not playing about mental health. No, I was not. (laughs) No. Yeah. And my dad surely did take me. I I think my mom took me when I was younger. And then when I was a little bit older, before I could drive my dad every Saturday. You told these people, these grown-ups, that you wanted to go to therapy, and they said, okay, and took you every Saturday for 10 years. Yes. Amanda, you're saying like, when you say it, when you say it like that, it, well, I do <laughs> how incredible that is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's incredible. It's very incredible. And then they started the, seeing the therapist that I saw. Well, now, I mean, my, maybe I would too if my kid. <laughs> I'm like, well, damn, well, what did happen? Like, maybe I should go to therapy too. No, now, well, you know, the therapist can't discuss anything, you know, right. from, from client to client. But, and I will say my sister, she's a different breed. She, she's one of those who who thinks the government is spying on her. So she, so she, she decided she needed her own therapist in the same practice, but her own <laughs> therapist. So listen, he's like, I don't want over there. Right. Right. So yeah. Yeah. When you say it like that, it is incredible, but yes. Yep. Therapy. But I mean, I guess sometimes that. that's what it is. Like when we experience something, we don't think twice about it. Right. Because it sounds like you haven't thought about it at all. <laughs> You're just like, yeah, therapy. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Yep. Can I ask what you were working through? I mean, you have podcaster too. Interviewee um, privilege here. What'd you say? <laughs> podcaster to interviewee privilege. <laughs> um, what was I working through? Just being a kid, I guess. I think, and you know what? I think being, because, you know, we did have a conversation before we popped on live, but I think I probably did not realize the tremendous pressures of being an African-American woman in a predominantly white school and living in a predominantly white area and not having family. So I really don't, Um, My dad has family. He has like 11 brothers and sisters, but they live in North Carolina. I did not have access to them, um, nor really knew their names back then. We didn't have that much contact. And my mom doesn't have any family. And so I was, to be honest, like on a little island by myself. And I don't think, I think it was a lot tougher than I realized. And I think even coming back to, oh, and, and it wasn't just... Now, I don't say this with negativity, all positive energy and love, but it wasn't just a white school. It was 
a white school in a wealthy area. And so that comes with a different energy of we really don't want your kind in our places and spaces. Um, I remember my dad applied to be part of a country club and I think they were like vehemently denying it. Um, you know, for whatever reasons he did make it in, but, um, but it was that, you know, he was the second black one and they just didn't I guess want us to infiltrate just being honest. And so, and at that, at that country club, I was part of the swim team, totally didn't fit in. It was so uncomfortable. And so I think I didn't realize how uncomfortable that made me. And so I'm sure, I'm sure, I know I acted out. I acted a fool often, often. And so my therapist was a black woman. Luckily, thank God, my parents had enough sense. I don't know how we found her, but luckily my parents had enough sense to have me with a black woman. And she obviously lived in the same area. Her husband was actually white. So it gave, she had a very well-rounded view of what I was experiencing and how I should navigate it. So I think that's what I was working through, but yeah, I couldn't verbalize that. I mean, you were eight, you were just a baby. Yeah. Well, I remember I got into an argument with my mother and I was really angry and I I was just displaying so much anger. And I was like, I can't take this. I want a therapist. And that's all I said. That's all I said. And from then it was, that's what it was. That's so brilliant. I, wow. What a lesson in standing up for yourself at such a young age. You're like, you know what? This anger thing, it just really isn't me. Like these vibes. (laughs) I was fine with this and like, I don't know what's happening. So I need somebody to help me figure it out. I love it. Yes. What a miracle. Thank you. Thank you. To have access, to have like presence of mind, to have people that listen to you. Like so many things just like clicked into place to to let that experience flow. And for all intents and purposes, like you are fair skinned mm-hmm. and gorgeous. So it's interesting that you were not accepted because you are so pretty. Um, I would say that I I I so at my school, I went there from age four. And so the people that I grew up with, we just knew each other as we knew each other because we grew up together. And, but that doesn't stop racism from parents. And then obviously that kind of seeps into their con- the kids' consciousness as they grew up. Like I remember uh, it was like kindergarten or something or some age where the mom invited everybody to the birthday party except me and Delicia, Delicia, the way I said it. So, um, you know, my mom threw a fit, but so it was things like that, you know, not getting an invitation to the party, me and the only other black girl being the only ones not getting invitations, little things like that. But I would say the kids were, I grew up with them, so I didn't feel not accepted by them at all. But I think, like I said, the pressures of the parents and um, things like that just got in the way. 
And I still, you know, have, I, yeah, I'm still black at the end of the day, light skin, whatever. And I was an ugly duckling, keep it 100, but. <laughs> you would have, you would have to send me some pictures. Okay. So I scrolled back on your Instagram and I saw a photo you posted from September of 2014. Um, where you showed a side-by-side of yourself a little bit heavier and then at your current fine as wine self, um, which is very interesting. So was that also like a part, the uh, being a bit heavier, was that also like a part of your processing the things you were going through or were you like always heavy? Um, Here's what I believe to be true that for me at least and for a lot of other people but for me I have realized that weight is a way to energetically block out uncomfortable situations or environments and so when you know if I have like a super stressful job and I have a boss who is just you know, not nice and has kind of negative energy. I am such a feeler and I feel everything strongly with my body that I energetically pack on that weight as a way to protect myself from my environment. And so when I was a child, I was always chubby. And looking back, I think it was discomfort with my environment. And then in my family, you know, in my home life, I think I was picking up on a lot and I really couldn't deal with it. And so, yes, I was, I was eaten. So that was definitely a part of my journey and times when I have lost weight or I'm a lot smaller have been times where I live by myself. I have a lot of peace. I'm able to just breathe and I don't have to worry about energetically kind of blocking things out. So it has been a part of my journey. And to be honest, I'm still experiencing that as I like navigate different environments and different countries and different experiences, you'll notice my weight will go up in one country and down in one country based on those factors. I think that is something we don't talk about enough, emotional weight. Um, Yes, all of that. All of that. Have you experienced that? Yeah, absolutely. Relationships. <laughs> when I am miserable, baby. <laughs> and it's not even necessarily the food. I'm a vegetarian. Um, and like I don't typically keep a lot of sweets around me. Um, sometimes traveling, it is harder to eat the way I like to eat. Like being in Malaysia, it's a lot of fried foods, a lot of rice. And I don't think mm. my body likes carbs. Um, but yeah, I, I know that when I'm in a good place, I'm just much more active and I've always been large. I think it's hard Mm -hmm. to tell because, uh, everybody around me was smaller. So like, I always felt really big, but looking back, I'm like, girl, you was fine. (laughs) You know, looking back at those photos, like, girl. Um, but yes, emotional weight does pick up when I'm in super, super relationships. Um, wow. Yeah. And then I've, I've heard from some other women as well, you know, uh, there's mm-hmm. a lady that went to an ashram 
and she just dropped it. Wow. So fast. Wow. So, yeah, I think it definitely depends. But this is so interesting. I love that you are in a space to share so much because I think it's super relatable, you know, um, wanting to be in a better place. I think a lot of us want to be in a better place. There's always like some small adjustment that we can make in our daily routines that can help us just feel better and enjoy our waking moments more um, and help us to enjoy life, you know, in general. Not, not just like have peace, but like have a little bit of fun and lightness too, you know? Right. Wow. So what happened after LA? So after LA, I traveled a little bit domestically and then I traveled with a group called Wi-Fi Tribe. And have you heard of them? No, I have not. Okay. And they are a group kind of like Remote Year. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yes, yes, yes. I've heard of Remote Year. Okay, they're a group just like Remote Year, except Remote Year, at least how it used to be, you have to commit to a whole year and you travel where they kind of tell you to travel. With Wi-Fi Tribe, you become a member and every month there's a different chapter and every month there are three chapters on three different continents. So if you wanted to hop over to, let's say you joined in March and they're in Peru, you would go to Peru and then the next month that same, well, the next month there will be another chapter in Bolivia and then another chapter somewhere else in South America. So at the same time, there's another chapter in say Malaysia and then the next month it'll be in Bali. So you can hop around wherever you want. Most people chose a continent and then stayed and you can come back home if you want. You can kind of leave and go as you choose. And so I thought that was more attractive for me because I didn't know that I wanted to commit to a whole year and I wanted to travel with people. And when I left LA or right before I left LA, when I had the terrible breakup, um, like I was saying, I knew there were things that I wanted to shift about me. And so I, at the time, had been introduced to plant medicines and healing psychedelics. And so I started to do ceremonies uh, in California, um, both legal and not legal. Uh, When I say not legal, I don't mean like I'm in a dark alley somewhere. I just mean those like healing ceremonies with a shaman, very professional. They just aren't, you know, unfortunately they're not legalized here yet. So I had experienced great benefits and a lot of releasing and a lot of shifting and a lot of awareness about things I was not aware of before. And that's when I found Wi-Fi Tribe and they had a chapter coming up in Peru in like the next month and a half. And um, it's with this program, you have to 
interview and have a background check and they have to kind of make sure that you're normal. And then all of you live in the same place. So depending on the country, you might live in the same house or you might live in the same apartment building in a couple different apartments and everybody has remote work. So they're entrepreneurs or one guy was like a, an online gambler, but he made a significant amount. And then the rest of the people had jobs. So I traveled with them to Peru. So that was my first, I had, I had traveled internationally before, but this is my first, like on my own, I'm going to live in another place for a month. So that is what Wi-Fi tribe is. And that's, that was my first international trip. I chose Peru because Peru is like, I don't want to say the birthplace because we don't specifically know the origin, but with one of the plant medicines I was passionate about at the time, it is kind of the hub of it's ayahuasca. That's the plant medicine I was passionate about. And Peru is where I wanted to go to an ex, to experience an authentic ceremony. So I decided to travel with that group. How did you hear about Aya, ayahuasca? I honestly do not remember, but I can say that I, the, I know that the first person who told me about a specific place to go was, is this was when I was working with Mary still. Um, so we had a conference in San Diego and it was like literally like the pinnacle of my like pain and discomfort with um, the breakup I had just experienced. Um, Cause I had, you know, him and I had just had like a conversation the day before and it was like, Oh, this is just some BS. And she mentioned ayahuasca. I was like, you know what? I'm here for it. And sometimes it takes those painful moments for you to like be forced into action. And so she told me about an experience she had with a, uh, he is a doctor, but he, and he lives in a different country, but he does come over to the States uh, for a few weeks in the spring and a few weeks in the fall to do, to host ceremonies. And so she told me about him and it's kind of like a drug deal. Like you have to be, you know how like, you know, you got, you can't just send everybody the drug dealers. If, like you got to ask the drug dealer, can I, you know, pass this info? So I had to be like, you know, she had to give him my information. And so he called me and then he had a ceremony coming up in the very next few weeks in California where I live. So, um, that, that was it for me. I did it and enjoyed it. How oh, no, I didn't enjoy it. It was painful. But yeah, because I was about to say, like... You enjoyed it. <laughs> transition is generally uncomfortable, but when... I don't know how I heard about it either, but I remember being in Atlanta and, like, talking to my friends then. They were drinking friends. I was like, don't y'all want to go hang out in the jungle, drink some stuff, puke, and see your ancestors? And they were like, nah. And I was like, oh. We good. <laughs> but... Uh, what was the experience like for you? It was, um, I was very nervous going into it. I was very nervous. I like recorded myself driving so I can look back on those and see how nervous I was just even driving up there. Cause it was like four hours away from where I lived. I mean, I was breathing heavy, just panicking. Um, so when I got there, I was immediately put to ease because I was, the ceremony, like you had to be there no later than 6 p.m. And it was L.A. traffic on a Friday 
so I was driving, like I said, four hours. So I got there at like 5.56 or something. And I'm like, you know, like panicking, like still early, but still like, okay, this is near the limit. And I walk in and um, to one of the buildings and I'm just looking around and the guy, the doctor, he says, oh, you must be Amanda. And I was like, yes. And he said, okay, all right, well, after you, we're just missing one more person and then we can get started. And I felt very comfortable with that because I felt like not a number and I felt like he had control over his, it was like about 40, a 40 person ceremony. So he had control and um, I I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but he knew his participants and he cared for us. And it, it didn't feel like, like a number situation or it didn't feel messy. Like you know, we were just going to be there and drink some stuff and leave. It felt like we were his patients, to be honest, is how it felt. So um, it was very scary. It was very scary. And a lot of people, if you haven't heard about this medicine, a lot of people say you go through hell and back during these ceremonies. Um, and physically, people always like panic about the puking part, but like, trust me on ayahuasca when you throw up it feels good not like you know high good but it feels good because your stomach is so queasy you just want to get it out and when you are puking it is an energetic release of any negative energy or energies that no longer serve you and so trust me it actually feels very cleansing and positive when you are puking all night. Um, And you're not really, not everybody's puking all night. But the experience was scary. It showed me a lot that I didn't realize that I was holding on to. And I did meet ancestors, like you just mentioned, um, one of them. And I gained a lot of insight. It was a great, great, great experience. That just sounds like really transformative. <laughs> wow. So so you're literally, you were literally traveling to heal. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm looking for what can I do here that's going to be healing or like what healer can I go visit? And I, I think, I think that was probably like the path for the past two years. I'm still interested in spiritual development, but I think um, there was a lot I was carrying that I just needed to let go of. So now I'm not as like, okay, let's, you know, hunt it down. I think I'm, I'm pretty good for the moment, but for those two years, I was looking for different healing modalities when traveling. And so now you've um, transmuted that into from student to teacher. So like you said, you do your sacred retreats using plant medicines um, under your brand spirit journeys. So you've, you've also done cacao ceremonies. There's, there's also other ceremonies you've done. Yes. Yes, there are. So, and this is a brand that I am just launching um, right now. And so I'm really passionate about it and I want to make sure everything is right. So um, I've done only one ceremony and it was a private ceremony. And so I will be doing a retreat and with everything going on, I wanted to do it in 2020, but I think I'm going to push that back to 2021. When I say everything going on, I just mean with 
right now, um, at the time of this recording, the coronavirus and travel being banned in a lot of countries and um, just the possibility that international travel might be banned altogether. And I say international because um, these medicines are, for the most part, illegal in the States. So um, it, I will have to travel. So, um, but yes, I did journey from student to teacher. I was just so passionate about it um, that I, I, I am so passionate about it. And I know that this is kind of a fast track. So I've always taught manifestation and, you know, transformation. And these medicines are the fast track vehicles to change. And I just want everyone to experience what I experienced. And so I have to bring it to the people. I have to. It's just in me. So you used to teach, um, you had like an online course. You taught on Daily Ohm uh, back in 2016 and you stopped doing that. What what made you like not want to do the online thing? Mm-hmm. I, and I, I had, a, I taught for, I taught, so I did have a course that I licensed out to Daily Ohm and, but I had my own courses. So I led my own courses on my own platform and the courses that I led were all on manifestation. And the most popular one was called speak it into existence. And this, I had done a couple different week structures, but for the most part, it was a six-week course where I walked you through um, different steps to manifesting. And also every day there was a prompt that you had to fill out that I would give you a prompt and you finish the statement. And that helps you to get into the vibration of where you want to go. And so every single day you're affirming, you know, that you're somewhere else. And I'm not going to go into too deep detail with it, but basically it's just like, I would say, oh my gosh, I'm so happy. I just got this letter in the mail. I dot, 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 dot. And then you would fill it out based on whatever it is that you want to manifest. And so um, in this group chat, you would put that out, you would fill it out, and then people would ask you questions about it. So you would continually be forced every single day to get more and more specific about your desire because, as you know, when you manifest, you want to be very specific about what it is that you want. And the more you discuss it and the more people ask you and you get in that vibration, you're just carrying that vibration with you throughout the entire day. So um, that is another way to fast track the vibration instead of just kind of wishing and hoping and praying. Everyone throughout these six weeks lived it. And so those courses, people manifested great things. Like one of the lovely ladies um, got on Cutthroat Kitchen, the national TV show. A couple ladies got engaged. A lot of people manifested unexpected checks, um, manifested investors for their business. Just, oh, a baby. Um, you know, so anyway, the course was great. I taught that course. I stopped teaching because I, I, I think a few reasons. One, I kind of fell out of love with it 
I still enjoy teaching so much, but the subject I kind of fell out of love with. And I think also because I was going through that breakup and, and, and as I said, my intention was to uncover a lot of junk and kind of let it go once and for all. I think that I was probably more in a space of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you, let's say you have a closet that has like a lot of clutter in it before you clean out that closet, you have to take everything out. And so now all the stuff is just sitting in your room before you throw it out or you reorganize it. And so I think at that period in my life, I was in the point where I took out the stuff from the closet. And I think probably subconsciously, I knew I really didn't want to leave people at that time because that that's not the energy that I wanted to uh, give people. And, um, also when it comes to manifestation, I have shifted in my way of being. And so as opposed to putting so much focus on manifesting certain things, I now just put my focus on living a peaceful life so that manifestations and great things are just attracted naturally. I think before then, the emphasis was kind of, I'll get this thing and then I'll be happy. And that's not a way that I want to live life. And that's not a way that I want any of my students or clients to live life either. I, I think this way of being just happy, peaceful, letting things naturally come to you is better. And just being happy, happy, happy is an interesting word, but I guess being peaceful and having joy every day is, is more where I'm, I'm headed now. So that's why I stopped teaching. I will be back to teaching something, but not that specifically. So you have started creating planners. Um, you have a 90 days from now planner. Um, how did that come about? Um, that came about because I knew that I needed a planner but nothing was nothing included all the elements that I desired for a planner. So there was uh, planners that were just all about schedule and very like you know rigid, and then there were planners that were like about manifestation, but then really it wasn't a planner. It was just like more of like an intention sheet. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and make my own planner. And then I'm like, you know what? I think other other people might like this. And then people liked it. So I decided, hey, I may as well just go ahead and sell this. Um, what has the response been like from that? Because like I could see like um, you would post from previously teaching like a lot of testimonials from people. So how have people enjoyed the planner? Yeah. So interestingly enough, so when I tell people about the planner, like just anybody, they're so excited. And before I was selling it, they would be like, okay, so when can I get it? And you know, like when you tell your friends or people about things and they're like, oh my God, that's so great. Like good for you. And then it kind of stops there. It's like, okay, they like it. But people always went that extra step to like, okay, but when can I purchase? So I knew that people actually resonated with it. And I actually have not gone back and requested any testimonials from people because it's not like a course, you know, I'm not engaging with them. They kind of purchase it and then they live their lives. Like, you know, I might not even know what's going on. So I think I need to check back in with them to see how they've been enjoying it. 
but um, I've gotten like a few, like a few responses just from people who I know personally were like, oh my gosh, I love this, you know, that have received it. But I, I haven't done the due diligence to follow up yet with my customers. So I should do that, Wanda. <laughs> Testimonials are everything. Oh, day. they are. <laughs> You've had your Instagram since 2013. Um so as I was doing my detective work on you today, I noticed you have like three trillion followers. What has that journey been like for you? Um, I, and I do, I, 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 I had so many followers because one before Instagram was, when Instagram was chronological, I used to post like a tip of the day when I was, you know, talking about manifestation and peace and spirituality and transformation. And so a lot of people were attracted to that. And then like I was explaining to you, I just kind of stopped and now, and I still have those followers, but like the engagement is low. (laughs) Like it'll be like a hundred something likes on a photo and not that likes are indicative of anything, but it's like, Oh so I honestly, I don't even, I don't even know if like my followers are seeing it. I don't know what's going on, but I also have not put much focus um, onto that now. So, I mean, you know, the journey is cool. I appreciate that I got a lot of um, clients and customers from Instagram. That's probably the, the best part that someone can find you and then want to engage with you further in their journey. So as you're figuring out what works for you in terms of work and travel, so you want to do your retreats. There's this global pandemic going on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not laughing because it's not funny, but just like laughing because it's insane. Um, Do you have support? Like how are has, did the work with Mary, like did that help you to figure out your business model and like how to create connections and, like how how has your journey been regarding work and travel? Yes, so with Mary, it did help me in terms of understanding how to structure a personal development company, like financially and with offerings, and then some of the marketing behind it. So that did help me tremendously. Um, after working with Mary, then I started freelancing doing marketing. And so one of my clients actually wanted me to go full time. And so right now, while I'm building the retreat brand and putting a little bit more focus on the planner and trying to understand what course I want to host next, I am still working with that gentleman full time. So I am doing marketing for his company. Um, We've just grown it very rapidly in under 12 months. So that is the support that I'm getting. And, and well, yes, I'll just, I'll just say that. Yes, that is um, how I have, how I have supported my travel. But before then it was just marketing and doing freelancing and having clients. And how has it been for you traveling as a black woman? It has been so specifically as a black woman, I think that 
the crazy part about it is the discomfort initially comes from the unknown because you don't know how people are going to perceive you in the new country that you go to. And it's not like this overwhelming, looming fear. You are cautious when, when you step into a new country. And sometimes, um, yeah, I'll say that traveling as a black, you know, traveling as a person has been amazing, but specific to black women, you don't know how people will experience you or you don't know if the country you go to, like if, if it's very oppressive towards women in general. So you have that. But I think the most discomfort has come from, you know, you not knowing what you're walking into. Have you found people to be like with you specifically? Have you found people to be, How have you found <laughs> how have you found people to be <laughs> to to be honest i i every place that I've been to people have been very friendly now mind you, I have for the most part traveled to like tourist destinations, so of course they're kind of used to different cultures you know once you start getting into like the rural areas or like the areas people don't travel that's when you see you know, a different side come out. Um, but for the most part, everyone has been very friendly. I remember a lot of discomfort in, um, in Bali, but I will say, and specifically from the Australians, but, and I, I don't know if that was a race thing, but I have heard from many people that their culture is just very like, abrasive um, and kind of in your face. So it, it may have honestly been my interpretation thinking that it was race because they were like, you know, they're white. So it, it may have been me to be honest. But besides that, my experience has been fine. I mean, obviously as a black woman, you want to try to be as safe as possible, but um, it's been good for me. Um, when you do travel, is there a certain kind of way you like to explore? Um, I, because I do like to work a lot, I honestly, when I travel places, I am mostly in my room on my laptop being antisocial. And then I'll kind of explore on the weekends or like maybe during the day, I'll kind of take a break and go explore. But um, pretty, pretty boring in that aspect, to be honest. So you're not like a, usually there are several types of travelers. There's the food traveler, the one mm. who wants to eat tourist attractions traveler. Gotta hit up the, the big sites, the person that's anti-tourist attraction and they want to like go up in somebody's abuelita's house or something. Um, what other kind? I don't know. Uh, buying knickknacks and baubles. <laughs> so, like, what what do you? Definitely food. Definitely food. I love experiencing food, and I'm like you, vegetarian. So that limits it a little bit, but I do love experiencing the food from different cultures, and I do love experiencing the natural sights. So I love nature. So. 
I'm really passionate about that, but I'll go to a tourist attraction. I'll honestly do whatever. But I think if you're like, okay, what's the one thing? It probably would be food. I like to experience the food. Um, so aside and from, which one are you? oh, me, I'm food all day. Okay. <laughs> I just want to eat and talk to local people. Okay. And I'm also curious about whose land I'm on. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So how, how does that come about? How do you explore that? Well, you just figure out where they're not. Cause it's usually, you know, they've been pushed off somewhere, but. Mm. And know. do you go meet them? Like, it, I don't want to say on the outskirts, but yeah, on the outskirts. Um, no, I, in some cases, stumble upon them and then I'm like, who's that? And then nobody wants to talk about it. And then I research it and then find out who they are and what mm. happened, the history of the place. Wow. Um, but also like that's some, something that's newer. Of course, we are aware of the indigenous in America, but there are indigenous everywhere. And right. I'm interested in, in that story, who's there and how those politics played out and how it's replicated itself around the world in a lot of places around the world so, in a lot of ways, a lot of different ways. <laughs> what's the most interesting place that you've been that you've learned about, I guess, the indigenous people? I mean, it's not something I've been, I can like side by side like that. Cause the story tends to be similar. You there, some other hoes come, yeah. you off your shit and then you got to, try and keep some semblance of your culture while other people run the country. They run the government and then they call themselves giving you one little piece of the whole pie that you used to have or what have you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, that's what it usually seems like. You see it in Australia, you see it in America, you see it here in Malaysia. I'm sure there are lots of other countries. I don't know about Thailand. I don't know about Vietnam. I'm not sure about Indonesia either. But I just know mm-hmm. uh, they tend to be brown. <laughs> All those people tend to be brown. When I, when I saw the people here in Malaysia, like I literally thought, I was like, am I in Jamaica real quick? Because it was the hair and the skin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, mm-hmm. oh, who is that? So mm-hmm. that is funny. Said am I in Jamaica? Like what? Um, but yeah, that's how. Th- those are some ways that I'm interested in. A little bit of history. I'm not much of a tourist attraction person. Like okay, we, like you said, we were talking before, and uh, I just have a lot of work to do. <laughs> a lot of work to do. Oh. Thing, that you make it a point to research that I don't think a lot of people do and they just kind of take the history that's given to them well I don't know that we know the history often I mean usually not and we don't usually know the nuance of, mm-hmm. of places we're not there long enough and we don't know enough local people sometimes language is a barrier 
So it's difficult to really immerse, like you have to be intentional about it. Um, Cause like that little Wikipedia, that's not going to tell you all the conflict that's happening. In right. our oh, yes. And we know so, how our history was written and how much right. is coming out these days. Um, right. But there's a lot of history we, we don't have access to. I think about all the stories that were lost because I think we've been trying to tell our stories. We come from oral traditions mm-hmm. um, and we have a strong literary tradition as well, um, mm-hmm. especially with the Harlem Renaissance and stuff. So, but I, I think that we've tried to record it in, you know, fires, you know, back in paper days <laughs> or just lost or floods or, you know, thrown out, whatever, uh, when somebody died. So we don't have access to those stories. But now, you know, other people, more mainstream media have some stuff, some uh, historians have access to some archives and stuff and maybe got a hold of some stuff and stuff, stuff, stuff. So, so we're benefiting from that these days. Mm-hmm. But it, it's, it's intention. It's like anything. If you yeah. want to know like what the local drink is, you, you go look that up. Otherwise, yeah. like there's just so much information you otherwise wouldn't find it. You just gonna go to McDonald's or whatever you see on a street stall. Exactly. That's why I think it's so great that you actually put that intention out there. I don't think people even think to ask that or really want to know. And I know when people travel, they want to know the history. So I no, think that's a good thing. Have you been on Instagram? These girls are trying to get, these girls are hiring photographers. (laughs) No, that's that's hiring photographers. They're renting dresses. Come on now. You're right. You You know the Bali nest. Everybody went to the Bali nest. Self-included. Not going to deny. Not knocking it, but I think that that's the vast majority of what, of what I see. I know there are other types of travelers out there. I just don't, yeah, it's I think you're right. No, what I mean is the historic, the ones who like the history, they want to know the history. And so they should dig a little deeper. But you are right. I guess I'm just a fan of the underdog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I wanted to ask you, Miss Amanda, uh, would you mind please sharing your self-care practices? Yes, it that now that definitely does depend on where I am located. Everywhere I'm located, I wake up, I meditate every morning, I journal, um, do my gratitude, pray. You know, I have my whole morning spiritual routine, and depending on where I am, I like to kind of I don't know what you would call it, but like. Actually, Mary, interestingly enough, she calls it the land of the solution, quote unquote. And this is like, you know, if you have anything to think about or like if you're trying to, I don't know, if if there's something you're building in your life or, or a direction that you're moving in, she says to go to the land of the solution, which for me is always like a hot tub. And I just love to chill in the hot tub, like think about life and let ideas come to me or answers come to me. Um, If I don't have access to a hot tub, that is walking in the sun. 
So um, just getting out and because I'm working remotely, I'm mostly inside, but actually getting out and really feeling the sun and walking in a place where I see a lot of people. So that was super easy, obviously, in Bali. You know, you're out all amongst everybody. And um, yeah, so those are my two favorite things, just walking out in the sun and sitting like in a hot tub and just letting letting my spirit speak to me, basically. What kind of meditations do you like to do? I do silent meditation. So I just literally sit there silently. I play um, Tibetan singing bowls in the background just to get my brain waves into theta quicker. Uh, but I mostly do just silent ones. There are times where maybe about once a month, I might do a guided meditation. And um, I find those, I actually have a meditation myself on Insight Timer app. And so I'm on that app listening to the other meditation teachers probably like once a month. And uh, the journaling that you do, is that a part of your 90-day planner or that's separate for like free writing? Yep. Well, so I do do my own free writing just to kind of get my thoughts out. And then I also do work with my planner. And then there's another thing I'm coming out with. And this is just taking that same speak it into existence concept that I was mentioning earlier, where it's a journal just completely full of prompts. So every day is a, a... a different prompt and um, this is going too deep, but you know, historically days are named after certain planets and in, in, in multiple different cultures Um, and the energies of those planets. I have every single day of the planner, depending on what day of the, not planner journal, depending on what day of the week it is. I have asked a specific question that brings about the energy of that planet because that's kind of what mind state that you're in that day. For instance, Tuesdays, that's ruled by the planet Mars. Mars is very active and a go-getter and energetic and Mars gets things done. So the question I ask on Tuesday is always about getting things done. Friday, ruled by Venus, is more lovey and friendly and all about beauty. So it's more about love and passion, the question that I'm asking on Friday. So I use that concept um, in my journaling as well. But I love freehand journaling. That I do that all the time. And are any of those practices particularly grounding for you? Meditation is definitely. Mm-hmm. Do you have any hobbies or interests that we haven't talked about? I think we've talked about pretty much everything, to be honest. Um, I, man, wish I were more interesting with that. I really, I think that's, I think we talked about all of my hobbies, to be honest. (laughs) Um, How do you like to celebrate Amanda? So many different ways, but I think, to be honest, my favorite celebration is just spending time with my friends. Um, 
And, you know, I know you kind of alluded, like, what, like, did I, do I have any challenges when traveling? I think the biggest challenge is missing family and friends. And so I like to spend time with my loved ones as much as I possibly can. That's gorgeous. Oh, I wanted to ask you real quick. You had a speak it into existence challenge that you did. So is uh, the work that you're doing now like a come from that or it's kind of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Okay. All right. And I always, Amanda, like to ask uh, my guests, how can listeners support your work? Okay, so listeners can support my work. Um, first, I want to be able to gift a few people who, a few people, anyone who's listening, with the first few days of the guided journal that I was talking about called Write It Into Existence. You can purchase it if you'd like, but if you just like a free copy of the first two days to experience it, you can go to amandaelise.com slash bwtpod. And then if you are interested in the retreats, the um, plant medicine retreats. We're going to be working with different plant medicines. So not just ayahuasca, but ayahuasca, wachuma. I am considering, and it is probably going to be highly likely that it's my first one, doing a psilocybin mushroom retreat as well. And um, other medicines that I'm just not going to go into. But if you want to support that, you can go to spiritjourneys.com. And then if you would like the manifestation planner, and this is actually a physical planner, a day planner, week planner, month planner, plus all the manifestation tools, you can go to 90from.com or hit me up on the gram spiritually at spiritually dope. Okay. So I will put that in the show notes. Thank you very, very much. Uh, Like I said, I really appreciate you being so open about your journey and all the bits of your life because you actually don't share a whole lot <laughs> about yourself. Yeah, um, that's so interesting you say that. <laughs> I feel like I share so much, but I, 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 I guess I'm just by, natu- by nature a little bit more private. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, ma'am. We appreciate Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you have yourself a gorgeous day, okay? All right, you too. Thank you. Bye.